The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. So I've got a story about actually getting to play kickball a few years ago um, that I'm... I don't know that I'm looking forward to sharing with you, but I'm going to share it with you. So before I started working for the end here, I actually got to work at a company called Facebook that you guys might know of. And in my job there, early in my career, it was announced on my team that we were going to have an all-day staff off-site. And I was pretty pumped about that because I saw it as an opportunity to finally try to fit in with my team. Um, if I'm pretty honest, I would say that I was fairly insecure in the beginning my resume did not look like any other of my coworkers' resumes. My education, I didn't have the backgrounds that they did. I also, you know, hadn't, didn't have the institutional knowledge that they had, and I was just fighting to feel like I fit in and I belonged, and that, you know, I, I earned it to be there. And so I thought my relational skills would actually help me connect with people for once, not talking about work stuff. So we have this afternoon, and we all end up going to this local park, and we have this awesome barbecue, and then our boss is stoked to play a bunch of lawn games, and then everyone decides to get, they, they really are excited about kickball. There's not really a field at all, so we make this makeshift uh, game kind of next to the picnic tables and stuff like that, and the game gets going, and I'm sitting there like, I've got to prove myself. Like, I'm going to bring my competitive spirit into this game. And how many of you guys know that overcompensation just never leads to anything good? So after a few innings, I found myself manning third base. And I was pretty, I don't know, I was feeling pretty good about it. And my coworker, Kendra, comes up and just launches the ball out into the outfield. And as I'm watching it, basically disappear. I'm just thinking to myself, oh no, she is probably going to home run. And next thing I know, she's, you know, winding just beyond first base. And then she's going past second. And then she's coming to me and I'm watching and waiting for the ball to be thrown my way. And I catch it just as Kendra sneaks past me. And all of a sudden, I mean, this adrenaline kicks in. And I'm like, she will not, she will not score. Like, this will not, on my account, she will not score. And I don't even know where the thoughts came from. Like, this is so not me. But I was like, the only way that I'm going to get her out is a Superman dive after her. So I grab the ball. And next thing I know, my body is just launching into midair. I don't even know where this comes from. And as I'm launching into midair, I, I throw the ball. And I'm because it's great kickball, you don't actually have to hold the ball to, and be touching it to get them out. You can toss it and hit them, which I don't even know why I decided to dive then. But I throw it, and I'm waiting, and it hits Kendra on the back, and my arms go up in celebration because I cannot believe I get her out. And then all of a sudden, my face, I kid you not, flat smacked right into an entire pan of baked beans that were on the side. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even making this up. This is like I'm in a movie. So I am just sitting there, and I remember lifting my head, and I'm just like, I have beans all over my face. <laughs> Baked beans. 
and my director is like running at me with his phone and he starts videoing me, taking pictures. He's uploading it to Facebook so all my other coworkers are gonna see back at the office. And my other friends are like crying. Like I think we're all crying, laughing, and I'm just there like shock and awe. Like this isn't real, this is not happening, this is so not happening. And apparently in my tunnel vision of wanting to get Kendra out, I totally spaced on the fact that the grill was right next to the sideline and we just left the baked beans off to the barbecue, off to the side, and lo and behold, in my epic dive, I lined myself up perfectly with the pan. So, again, I can't believe I'm sharing this in public, but I found myself thinking about that story early this week and it's just, how can anybody come back from something like that? Like, like, it is not possible. There's no redeeming your reputation after that. And, like, I got jokes for weeks about that. And I, I know this is, like, I'm being funny and, like, humorous side and everything. But, like, we have moments like that where stuff happens and you just become so hopeless. <laughs> you're like, there, there's, there's nothing good that can come from this. There's nothing. And it's those moments where our inner thoughts just start to spiral immediately. You know what I mean? Like I found myself with just like any potential like ounce of truth that could come into my mind. Like I am a beautiful daughter of the Lord. It's like, no, you're not. Beans are on your face. Like, like there is no, there's nothing that can eclipse those thoughts that come up. And I like, I will never forget that night getting into bed because it's just all I could think about. Like the thoughts like reeling over and over and finding myself just like crawling into this hole and wanting to hide and not even wanting to go to work the next day. Um, And I know that like some of us in this room like have stories that are marked by what, I know that's funny, but marked by hopelessness, you know, where you're sitting there and you're just, you're wanting to hide. You're wanting to get in your hole because the truth is that you don't want people to see what's going on and the thoughts that are mulling over in your mind just get so loud that it's nothing else can be heard. Isn't it in our lowest moments when we feel like the enemy's voice is just the loudest? How many of you know that internal talk that surfaces that I'm talking about? There's no way out. You're gonna be stuck in this forever. No one really notices. You're alone in your pain. Friends, I know the hardship when those voices speak so loud about who we are that we can't hear the truth. But I want us to brew over this question tonight. Are we magnifying our circumstances, the situation in front of us, or are we magnifying Jesus standing firm in our circumstances? Are we magnifying the power of Jesus? Because I believe that there is breakthrough for us. There's hope. And it comes when we shift our thoughts away from dwelling on what is in front of us and when we put it on Jesus and we focus on his power that can come, draw us up out of the dark places and lead us out into the light. If this is your first time here, I want to invite you to get on this journey with us. Mike talked about earlier about how we're gonna, how God can come and he can create life out of our death. That's the series that we're in. And the first week, Mike got us started off by looking at in the time of transition, and the end, as you guys have noticed, is in transition as churches headed out the door. But there's life that comes from the moment of transition. There's opportunity for something new to be birthed. And he also spent time last week looking at the nature of pruning. Mike shared that when we prune back the dead areas of our life, 
like when we cut off the dead branches of the orange tree that he put up on the screen, the energy that we once gave to these dead areas can now be redirected and open up opportunities for other things to grow. A lot of us walked out of these doors last week hearing that in the kingdom, life grows even in the unexpected places. And tonight we're going to look at another way that we can find life from death. And that is by focusing on the power that Jesus has that conquers death. But before I get into that, I would love to pray with us. So pray with me. Lord, thank you that you are here and that you are, you're excited to meet with us tonight. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself. God, I just pray that you would quiet the thoughts of the enemy. You would quiet those voices that we've talked about, that internal talk, God. And I just pray that you would tune our ears so that we could hear you speaking directly to us, God. I pray that you would bring to the surface areas, God, that you want to resurrect, that you want to heal, God. And I just pray that I would be a vessel for you to speak through. Remove anything that is in me that is not from you, God. Anoint my mouth, God. But tonight, glorify you and who you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at a story tonight in the book of John. John's a, one of the gospel stories in the, in the New Testament. And to give a little background context, because the story's pretty long, I'll try and summarize the beginning of it. Um, Jesus introduces us, and he talks about three of his really dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're siblings, and they live in Judea. And often Jesus, because he was a traveling teacher, would come in and out of cities, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would open up their homes for him to come through. And, but eventually, Jesus had to flee Judea because he was experiencing, along with the disciples, so much hostility and animosity and opposition towards them that they were getting pretty concerned uh, for their lives. And so they take off, and they've been gone for a while, and in this time period, Lazarus ends up getting pretty ill. And Mary and Martha become really concerned that if Jesus doesn't come back in time that they're, to pray for their brother, that he could die of sickness. So they send word to Jesus for him to come uh, visit their sick brother. And so the story picks up tonight in John 11. And we're going to look just at verse 4 really quick. So when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, we're going to go back to this comment later in the talk tonight, but he says, again, the sickness will not end in death. Know it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. Jesus engages this conversation with the disciples about the letter that he's gotten. He decides to wait a little while before heading back, but it takes a while for him to talk the disciples into wanting, going, to, wanting to go back with him. They're like, do you remember where we just came from? Like, we, like... It's a threat to go back there. It's dangerous. It's scary. But Jesus is like, I have a mission. I've got something to do. And he tries to explain to them that Lazarus has fallen asleep and they didn't really get it. And finally he reveals to them that Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad that you're here and that you're going to come with me so that you may believe. And so they follow Jesus to or back to Judea. And where we're going to get started in tonight is starting in verse 32 where Jerry... Or, Jerry, Jesus, who's Jerry? <laughs> that was great. Oh, um, anyways, Jesus meets up with Mary. Did you get that? Jerry, Mary, anyways, or Jesus, Mary, put them together. Okay, so here we go. Verse 32. So 
Wow. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply grieved and moved in spirit. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now, I love the authenticity that we get from Mary in this moment. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I had the faith in you, Jesus. I had the faith that if you came, you would have healed Lazarus, but you didn't even show up. You didn't come, you're late. Doesn't that sound familiar? At least for me, I think Mary and I got a lot in common. Lord, if you had been here, I wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't be experiencing this. This is so real. This is a conversation that I feel like is so normal for us, for us crying out to God, wrestling with Jesus about what feels like to us, him delaying a response. But Jesus reminds us that this delayed response that we sit in this tension with is really gonna lead to greater glory. This waiting period that we often find ourselves in is so often purposeful by the Lord. And I've learned over time that I'm sitting here and it's like, I'm, point, I'm at point A and I really wanna to get to point B or I'm asking for point B. Come on, God, show up, show up. It just feels like it's silence, this waiting period. But I've learned over time that Jesus cares more about transforming my mind, my heart, my relationship with Jesus and building this foundation that's gonna last. And he's, he's gonna sit and wait until he forms in me something to last me a lifetime. And this is us. This is Mary. She's in this tension because she doesn't know what the future looks like, but she feels like Jesus has shown up too late. And she's sitting there in her pain and, it's, and it's, she's weeping in front of Jesus. But then simultaneously beside her is Jesus. And he, we see him being so agitated and troubled by death that he weeps with Mary and the community. And this is radical that we're given this insight in the scriptures that Jesus is just emotional over our pain. He's emotional over the children whom he loves. He's emotional over all of us in this room. Your pain is not indifferent to the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So not only is Jesus emotional over our pain, but that gives us insight that God is emotional over our pain as well. Even when he knows what our future holds, even when he sees the outcome that's gonna happen, he still weeps with us over the circumstances that we're in. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus back to life, but seeing the effects that it had in that moment on Mary and Martha and the Jews gathered around him led him to tears. But here comes the turning point for Mary to set her gaze back onto Jesus to magnify he who carries power over the grave and can bring life out of death. When you get back to the text starting in verse 38 and we'll read through 39. So then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Listen to that. Listen to these words. It was a cave. We're going to talk about caves. And a stone, we're also talking about stones, lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. So when I was reading this part of the story, it came alive to me in this totally different way when I actually, actually imagined myself like physically in the story, okay? And if I'm honest, I probably more resonated with Lazarus than I did anybody else in this story. 
Lazarus had no choice in the process. His circumstances dictated that he would end up in the cave. It's nothing that he chose of his own accord. And I feel like some of us would probably say that more often than not, we would actually describe ourselves like Lazarus hiding in some cave because of the circumstances that are kind of handed to us. For some of us, it might be that we're wrestling with depression that just takes hold of us and suddenly it's like we're trapped, we're unable to move. For others of us, it's just the anxiety of life that permeates every part of us and it clouds our vision to be able to hear anything. Some of us, it might be relational loss. It might be the loss of a family member, of divorced parents, or just broken relationships. When I was in college, for me, it was a paralyzing unbelief that I could ever amount to anything significant. I tried to find worth in anything and everything, and it was just rejection after rejection after rejection. And it left me in this place where I just couldn't hear anything more. That's all I could hear was that internal talk, the enemy's voice. And so I just started to isolate myself because I didn't want to be around anybody, and I didn't want them to really know what was going on. And so I didn't really open up, and I wasn't vulnerable, and I pushed out my friends, and I pushed out my community in the midst of my weakness. And I just let the enemy tell me who I wasn't. Since when did we ever give the enemy permission to tell us who we are? Every time you're like, I'm, un- I'm unworthy, I'm unable, you're just agreeing with him. He, he is not waste our time. Like he's, or sorry, he's not worth our time at all. Like I would rather be sitting and listening to Jesus, but no one taught me how to hear what Jesus was saying to me. And that's why I'm here and I'm so excited. But we're gonna, we're gonna engage what Jesus has to say about who we are tonight. And so I, Coming back to the thing, as I imagine myself in the cave, I also imagine suddenly like this, the stone that's blocking the entrance to this cave. And so look how big the stones were. Like that is massive. That is a massive piece of rock. And, um, and when I imagine being Lazarus in, in the cave, I suddenly just like pictured Jesus standing outside of the cave. And it was like, he was shouting resurrection words to me. He was shouting words of life, things about my identity, words about who, that I, who I was, but the stone was in the way. So none of his words could penetrate through that stone so that I could hear them. And suddenly I started wondering, have you been, were you talking to me that whole time? And I just couldn't hear you. In that moment, Jesus showed me and he wants to show us that we've got walls. We've got stones that we've put up in front of our hearts that are preventing his words from breaking through. But he's been talking the whole time. And I realized in the moment when we read in the text that Jesus asked for the crowd to roll away the stone in front of Lazarus' caves because he knew what needed to happen so that Lazarus could hear his voice. There's an invitation for Lazarus, but he couldn't hear it with the wall in the way. And I feel like there's an invitation for us to remove the stones, to roll away the stones that are in front of our hearts. But then there's, Ma- there's Martha. Love Martha. Martha is just making up excuses for why they can't be removed. Lord, he's been in there four days. It's going to smell so bad. The odor, it's so bad. She's so worried about the smell that she doesn't want the stone to be rolled away. But guess what? Jesus is not afraid of the odor of our lives. He's not afraid about the messes that we have going on. He wants to come and engage them. This passage passage has left a striking image in my brain of Jesus relentlessly pursuing me. 
but I had to open myself up to hear what he, had to, what he has to say. And friends, Jesus is in the room tonight to encounter us in the dark places, to blow past our locked doors because he's here to transform us. And he doesn't want any area of our life left in the shadows anymore. He wants to take every area and bring that alive. He wants to bring it into the life and he wants to soak it with his presence, with his resurrection and his power. That's what he has in store for us tonight in this room. Let's get going to the back of the story. That's good. John 11, starting in 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Of how personal Jesus is. He calls Lazarus by name. And I know you're like, he already knew his name. We already know his your name. And he's calling, I believe, each of us by name tonight to come and to rise and to come outside of our caves. The text continues saying, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is a radical. This is a radical moment. Lazarus is giving us a glimpse into what happens when we, when we come into the kingdom, when we come into relationship with Jesus. He's showing us the potential of things that are to come for us. But what I love that's so relatable in this image is the rawness of what Lazarus looked like when he came out of the cave. He's, he's covered. He's, the linens like are covering him and he's surrounded by what they call these these grave clothes. And I think that's really similar to what it's like for us when we come into relationship with Jesus. It's not like we just show up and we're all ready to go and cheery and all things are good and well when we invite him into our life. Lazarus is us and he's coming out of the cave and he's bound, and he's bound in, these, in these grave clothes. And I believe Jesus had something more for Lazarus. And he has something more for us. He didn't want Lazarus to go one more day wearing those grave clothes. He didn't want Lazarus to just breathe. He didn't want him just to wake up and get through the day and endure life. He came so not only would he physically raise him from the dead, but he would emotionally, mentally, and spiritually raise him back to life. There's more, and these grave clothes symbolize the things that we continue to walk around with every day. It's our fears, it's our insecurities, it's, it's our sin, it's our regrets. It's all these things that we feel bound by, right? But what does the text, and what does the text say? Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go and bind them and let them go. Jesus actually said to those gathered around, to Mary, to Martha, to the Jews, go and bind Lazarus. And Jesus is speaking the same message, I think, to us tonight. Now, you might be here feeling a lot like Lazarus and that you're barely standing. And I'm here to tell you, rest. Rest where you're at. This is a place where you can come and you can be authentic. You can be vulnerable. You can be you and you can come to this place so that you can be filled and be around a community that you can lean into. But this message, I think, is really for us in the room that are ready to get on board to participate in Jesus's mission of bringing heaven to earth. Jesus is ready for us to say yes in our spirits. Because he's a mission for this neighborhood. He has a vision for this campus to come alive. Jesus wants the works of the enemy destroyed in us, 
and fear us. And he wants fear to have no voice in our lives anymore because where he wants to take you, fear cannot not come with you. It cannot talk to you where, it's, where you're gonna go. He wants people to be transformed by the love that's, that's overflowing in you when people spend time with you. Jesus is asking us tonight, how willing are you to be contagious for me? Because I've got some grave clothes for you to tear off, bind up, and throw away for good. And it starts with people in this room. Jesus is here commissioning us to unbind grave clothes off of, off of others. And the only reason why we can do any of this is because of what Jesus accomplished for us when he rose from his grave. Just like Lazarus, Jesus was buried and he was wrapped in grave clothes and he was placed behind a large stone in a dark tomb. It was really fun for me to compare the two stories side by side of Lazarus and Jesus' tombs. It's, it's pretty, pretty, well, I'll tell you, it's pretty cool. So three days later, his friends come for him. And at first, Mary and Martha come to the tomb. And it says later in Matthew 28 that there, when they showed up to the tomb, because the stone was like in that picture, like in front of it, it said that suddenly there was a large earthquake and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. Isn't that fascinating? The stone is brought up again. Commenters say that the angel rolled away the stone and not to let Jesus out. Jesus didn't need the stone to get out of the cave. It's pretty wild and a mystery that we will not probably ever understand. But later on, we see like Jesus actually walks through a wall to appear to disciples after he rose from the dead. So if he can do that, the stone probably doesn't really matter. So I was sitting here and I'm like, why does it matter that the angel would come and roll away the stone? They did it so that the observers would see that it was empty. Now, and not only did the angel just roll away the stone, but the text said that the angel sat on it. You don't get it. It's so cool. The angel sat on top of the stone, not because the angel was tired. The angel sat on it because like Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. It is done. He conquered death. It's like drop a mic statement. The empty tomb proclaims the testimony of our triumph and victory over every situation in our life. Some of us might be here tonight and hopelessness is connected to your circumstances. And I'm just here to tell you that if that's the case, you are under the influence of a lie because of that empty tomb, I would say that it dictates it differently. Jesus is a message that the resurrection power of God is available to us right now, tonight. Not tomorrow, not later this week, not any year, right now, right here. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for us. He died as us. And when he died as us, he went down into Hades. And guess what? He took all of our grave clothes and he locked them up in Hades to never be seen again. And when he rose, we rose with him into new life. Jesus left our fears. He left our insecurities. He left the lies. He left the hurt. He left the brokenness. He left everything down in Hades and he came back to life. He died so that you and I can live again. Jesus died so that we would find life. And I got crazy goosebumps when I read that when Peter, another disciple, comes to the tomb to see what's going on. When he got there, he saw Jesus' linens, the grave clothes, lying on the ground. The grave clothes that wrapped around Jesus when he died no longer claimed his body. 
and are left as evidence that Jesus has paid the price for our sin and redeemed all things. The death of Jesus leads to life for all of us. And when we come into relationship with him, it's pretty radical. He gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, essentially he's just giving us the presence of God to dwell in us. All of us in this room have God living on the inside of us. Why does this matter? It matters because the power that raised Jesus from the grave now lives on the inside of us. And Jesus wants to release that power in you and through you into this neighborhood and beyond. Did you know that like whenever any of us walk into the room, the kingdom has arrived with you. Have you ever thought about that? Wherever you go, heaven is with you because you have Jesus living in you. You can access that. He wants you to access that. He wants you to ask him about it. Like, what might Jesus be dreaming about when he sees you clothed in his authority and power? Do you not think he's up in heaven dreaming about how he wants to use you? But we got to remember what our identity, that we do carry him. He has a plan for you when you go back home to your dorm room. He has a plan for the people that you're going to meet in your fraternity or in, for your, in your sorority when you walk down the Ave to the grocery store. When you go back home, he has a plan because heaven is coming with you. And he's up in heaven waiting for us to give him the green light to move. Because we, have, because we get to be in this relationship with Jesus, we have a choice. And he can't force things on us. So he's up there like waiting for you to give him the permission. Like, let me use you. Let me use you. I'm so excited. Like that's how giddy and excited he is about wanting to use us. And he just says, I know that he has so many plans for us. So many plans to use us to free our friends that are around us so we can participate in a story that he has here on earth. At the very beginning of a the talk tonight, I talked, or I mentioned um, that Jesus promises Martha that Lazarus' death or sickness would not end in death and that God would be glorified. And I want you to know tonight, and I want you to leave here tonight that you know, 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 that you know that your sickness will not end in death. Death will not be your final word. Your final word will be hope. It's going to be life. It's going to be redemption. It's going to be resurrection. It's going to be your new creation. It's going to be you can walk and live an abundant life. That is what your final word is here tonight. And if you're wrestling to believe that this truth is real, that what the scripture says actually makes a difference and that Jesus won the battle over your circumstances and or your grave clothes, Think about this analogy. I had a friend who painted this analogy and it has rocked me for a while. And if you're a friend of mine, you've probably heard it before. But imagine yourself in this prison cell. And this is what we do. We subconsciously do this probably on a regular basis. And we're in this prison cell. And for whatever reasons, we feel bound and we feel locked and we feel shackled up. And we're sitting there unable to move. But the reality is that because of what Jesus has done for us, this door, this prison cell door has been open the whole time. But for whatever reason, we convince ourselves like we have to stay in the prison cell. Jesus is saying, you're free. You can walk out. You're made in my image. You're a new creation. I already took whatever you think has convinced you that you need to be in there already to hell. 2,000 some years ago. It's already taken care of. So if you feel like you're sitting in the cell tonight, what do you need to hear from Jesus so that you can walk out? What do you need to hear? 
Some of you might have come tonight and this is your last shot with Jesus. Talk to him. Meet with him. Engage the people around you. The community here. This is what this community is for. Lean in. Bring your pain. Bring your questions. Bring your walls. Bring your doubts. Bring your unbelief. Bring it all to the table. Jesus isn't afraid of the odor. He's not afraid of it. He's pretty stoked that you'd be willing to just engage him, actually. And this community and why I care about it so much and why I've cared about it all throughout my journey in college is that this is a place where I got to come and be real and actually talk about what was really going on with me. And the only way that I started to walk towards freedom is when I opened up about my brokenness. And this is a place, this is a people that respond to you in love and affirmation and just are excited to meet you where you're at. And Jesus is excited to meet you exactly where you're at. You don't need to put anything on. Any, you don't need to say anything right. He just wants to meet you exactly where you're at tonight. And I believe he doesn't want you to go one more minute with grave clothes on. One more minute inside of the cave. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that you're here. Jesus, come into this room and walk towards us. Sit beside us right now, Father. May we imagine you with us not far away tonight. Jesus, help us realize the stones that are blocking your voice out. Help us realize the excuses we're coming up with to shield you out. Lord, help our unbelief that you can't resurrect our circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would shut down the enemy's voice and you would turn the volume of your voice up right now. God, would you speak words of life over us tonight, God? We're here and we're waiting with expectation, God, that you would meet us, Lord. I just pray for breakthrough over every one of us tonight, God. Would this be an opportunity to engage one another, to hear truth spoken over us, God, and would we rise up out of our caves tonight, God? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.